Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapters 1 and 12. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17 from that first chapter as we prepare to hear from Travis Simone as he kicks off our new sermon series titled Restored Community. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I often commute to work by bicycle, and you never know what you're going to find, you never know who you're going to meet. Just this past week, there was a full unopened bag of Lay's potato chips on the side of the road as I was coming in to work. And about a month ago, I was going home. I was coming down Jamestown Road. I was stopped at the light at Jamestown in 199. And a young man, also on a bicycle, pulled up beside me. Whenever you're on a bike, you see another bicyclist, you're kind of checking out your bike, seeing what, their bike, seeing what kind of shape they're in. Who is going to win this drag race off the line? This guy probably had about 20 years of youth on me, but I, I scoped his bike. It didn't look very nice. He, he had a, a rack on the back, which adds some weight. He, he was wearing a backpack himself, looked like he had some, some books in it. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the weight advantage here on my bike and not having a backpack, and I'm going to show this young man what dad's strength is all about. Much to my chagrin, uh, he took off rather quickly and uh, left me back in the dust. He showed me what college students can really do. But I thought, you know, dad's strength is, is real for all the dads out there. And, and what it is, is God gives every father, it's this little gift. It's, it's, he gives us about 20 to 30 seconds of our former ability, just so, I don't have any sons, but if you have sons, just so when your son is 16 and mouths off to you, you can still put him right in his place. Now, if that battle went on for longer than 30 seconds, you're in trouble, but for about 30 seconds, every dad has it in him. And so I said, I gotta catch this guy. And so I went dad strength for about 30 seconds, finally caught up and passed him by the time we got to Walsingham Academy. By the time we came down the hill past Walnut Hills Baptist Church, he had caught back up to me. He was intrigued who this old man was that was trying to challenge him in a bike race. He said, who are you? I'm Travis Simone, lead pastor at the Williamsburg Community Chapel. You're welcome any Sunday. I just said, hey, I'm Travis. And he said, hi, I'm Gray. He said, I, I, I appreciate a little challenge on, on the bike. He said, what do you, where are you coming from? I said, I'm coming from work. Where do you work? I said, I work at the Williamsburg Community Chapel. And now the conversation gets interesting. He says, really, the chapel? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm a, I'm a college student. And, um, you know, I, I have some questions about faith. I know that the Bible makes some claims about who Jesus is. But honestly, in my world, um, I'm just pretty distracted, he said to me. 
He said, honestly, I'm so distracted, I don't think about it much. I kind of just push it off to the side. And in that moment, um, I had about you know, 10 more minutes uh, biking down Jamestown Road, and I, I tried to help him surface some of those questions, tried to help him deal with some of those questions. But his phrase, I just don't think about it, stuck with me. See, increasingly, this is the disposition of all people when it comes to the teaching of the Bible or the claims of Jesus Christ in the midst of all of the distractions of our 21st century life. And my question this morning is, what could break through the noise? What could break through the challenges of our culture and challenge people to reconsider their indifference? You see, the book of Romans, from which Stan read some sample passages, the book of Romans was written to a, a tiny group of countercultural Caesar lordship deniers who lived at the center of a power hungry empire. They lived at a wealth creating crossroads for, Brit, for business. They lived in the middle of a distracting pleasure house of unbridled sexual expression. Does any of that sound familiar to us, 21st century Western culture? Sounds familiar to me. And so my question then becomes, well, how does Paul, the author of Romans, advise his readers to break through in the midst of their culture? How does he help his readers figure out how to challenge people to, to, to help their culture reconsider their indifference to the gospel message. Well, he instructs this besieged small group to vigorously hold together two big ideas. And here are the big ideas. Jesus restores the lives of all who believe and restored lives build a restored community. That's what the book of Romans is all about. Jesus restores the lives of all who believe and restored lives build a restored community. Paul begins with a claim to have a gospel. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, this is a word we may hear, but often we're not familiar with the definition. It was a word of, for which Paul's first readers would not only know the definition, which is good news, but they would actually have quite a, a story behind it to understand the context of what this good news was implied to mean. See, the gospel was good news, but it was announced by emissaries, heralds of Caesar, when Caesar would conquer new territory and expand the boundaries and the border of the Roman Empire, he would send a herald. And the herald possessed a gospel. What was purported to be good news, depending on your perspective, which side of the, the, the battle 
you were on the winning side or the losing side. It may not have been good news to you, but the herald would show up and say, I have good news. I have a gospel. Caesar has won the war. You are now welcomed into the peace and prosperity of the Roman Empire. Paul says, I I actually have a gospel. I have some good news for you. I am set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's a provocative statement in the first century because part of the gospel that Caesar would proclaim in these newly conquered territories was Caesar is Lord. That word Christ literally means king. And the apostle Paul here is saying, there's a battle that's been fought that you may not be aware of. The battle that was fought was against sin and death. And Jesus Christ fought that battle on the cross. And in dying, Jesus Christ went, as we might say, he went behind enemy lines. He battled death from inside death. And on Easter Sunday, he burst forth from the grave, emerging victorious over that enemy of sin and death, Paul says. Caesar's not Lord. It's one thing to conquer territory. Jesus conquers death. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the king. See, Jesus in dying, Paul says, destroys death. In rising, Jesus restores life. And his resurrection declares him to all people everywhere that he is the world's true king and sovereign. N.T. Wright, who's a well-known biblical scholar I enjoy reading, he wrote this, Jesus turns out to be the reality of which Caesar is the parody. And that's what Paul's first readers would have heard. Jesus Christ, he's Lord. Jesus Christ won the true battle. Jesus Christ is the reality. Caesar, he's the parody. He's the pretender. Paul goes on to say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. In dying, Jesus destroys death. In rising, Jesus restores life and is the world's true king and sovereign. And as the world's true king and sovereign, he restores the lives of all who place their faith in him. It's his right as the true king. It's his right as the one sovereign over this world. And he takes the death that he died to put death away to the side and offers the life of his resurrection to all who would put their faith in him. In dying, Jesus got what we deserved. In rising, he offers us what only he earned. If you've never placed your faith in this gospel, 
If you have a Lord in your life other than Jesus Christ, I invite you right now to hear the good news that the gospel is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. Paul expands on this idea that Jesus restores the lives of all who believe for 10 additional chapters. This is what Romans 1 through 11 is all about. And he gives illustrations of this gospel. He answers people's questions about this gospel. He he deals with thorny issues like why did God's people, Israel, why did they not receive Jesus in the way that the prophets Uh, that in the way that the prophets foretold that God would fulfill his promises through a Messiah that turned out to be Jesus Christ. He deals with it all, 11 chapters. Paul says, Jesus Christ restores the lives of all who believe. And as compelling a case as he makes, Paul also knows that this little community won't break through into their culture without a second big idea that restored lives build restored communities. Romans chapter 12, verse one. This starts the second section of Paul's letter. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Here is the key to understanding this. Note that the word bodies is plural and the word sacrifice is singular. Present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. What Paul describes here is a group of people worshiping together working together, a group of people that cooperate together. They they share the good news together. In Romans 12 through 16, Paul makes this great appeal to those whose lives have been restored. Build a restored community made up of all of those lives. And the clear mark of this restored community is sacrifice. Now, when we hear the word sacrifice, we think we we would give something up, we would let something go, but not the original readers of Romans. They would have had a much more vivid uh, understanding of sacrifice. It's a bit long and a bit graphic, but so we all get what Paul really means by sacrifice. Let me describe an Old Testament sacrifice from Exodus 29, verses 10 through 14. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger And the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them. 
and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. When the Apostle Paul says to the believers in Rome, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, this is the image they have in mind of a bull dismembered, of the blood of the bull spread on the altar as a reminder of the cost to pay the penalty of sin, of the entire bull being consumed, some on the altar, and then again, quite graphically, the skin and the excrement are then brought outside of the camp to burn away from the people, to show that sin has no place in God's family. Paul says, are you ready to be consumed? Are you ready potentially, to even have your blood spread on the altar that serves as the foundation to build the new community of God's restored people. See, Paul challenges the believers at Rome. You've had your lives restored by Jesus all well and good. Restored lives build a restored community and the mark of the restored community is sacrifice. So what kind of sacrifices does Romans 12 through 16 ask us to make? This will be our sermon series until Memorial Day. We'll be going in depth in these chapters. But let me just give a a sampling of some of the sacrifices the Apostle Paul calls for here. 12.5, if you have a Bible, you can open to chapter 12. Uh, I've created a top 10 list if you're viewing online. We'll see if we get to them all here in person. You can always go back and view the slides later. Romans 12.5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Sacrifice your autonomy. Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Sacrifice drawing attention to yourself. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Sacrifice your definition of the justice you think you deserve. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Sacrifice your comfort. Romans 13, 1, this is a tough one. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Especially for Americans, it's difficult to hear. But Paul says, sacrifice your freedom. If you go to chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. 
For Macedonia and Acacia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Sacrifice spending money the way you want to spend what we often think of is our money, Paul says. As I consider this list, what kind of sacrifices does Romans 12 to 16 ask us to make? Um, I could tell a few stories about my own life. Sacrifice drawing attention to yourself. I'm notorious in my family for longing for credit. I'll do the right thing, but I want someone to notice. Just last Easter Sunday, uh, we had a sunrise service, and I'm not a morning person, so I was just so nervous I was gonna miss my alarm or something was gonna happen. I I just tossed and turned throughout the night. Finally, three o'clock in the morning came. I was like, I just can't take it anymore. I'll I'll get there early. I'll look at my sermon notes. I get out of bed and, and Nina says, what's going on? And I could have said, nothing, honey, just, just go to sleep. Just don't worry about it, you just sleep. And instead I said, it is time for me to leave. <laughs> I was willing to get up at 3 a.m. for the Easter service, but I needed someone to know <laughs> that it was 3 a.m. and it was time for me to leave. Marriage part 17, Nina said to me the other day, um, if you remember that series earlier in the year. Sacrifice spending money the way you want to spend money. I often think of some of my financial goals, how I I long for my kids to have a stable future, to receive a, a great college education. And I think about the money that God calls me and that I obediently give to his work here at the chapel. And I think, you know, those financial goals and paying for those kids' college, if, if I just used money the way I want to use it, I might get there a little bit easier, a little bit quicker. But God's word says sacrifice spending money the way you want to spend money. God's word says to me, sacrifice, drawing attention to yourself. What do you need to sacrifice to build the restored community? What on this list do you need to sacrifice to build the restored community? And again, we sacrifice as individuals but the community is built by us together. Together out of all of those different bodies is made one sacrifice pleasing to God. As you consider that question, you might think it sounds crazy. As as a financial advisor might say to me, it it sounds crazy for you to give away 10% of your income when you're trying to save for this goal. Why would you do that? The Apostle Paul says it's not crazy. It's actually the most logical thing you can do. 
says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. The word spiritual in the Greek language is the word logikos. Logikos, which is where we get our English word logical. This is the most logical thing to do. The King James Version translates the word reasonable. This is the reasonable response to what God has done for you, to sacrifice what you would never dare to sacrifice from a human perspective is the reasonable and logical response to God's mercy. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, make this sacrifice because Jesus Christ offered himself. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself outside the gates to sanctify God's people through his own blood, says Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. Jesus Christ gave up his freedom to be nailed to a cross Jesus Christ gave up the comfort of his throne at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Jesus Christ did not draw attention to himself, but he was mocked, he was scorned, he was spit upon. And Jesus Christ sacrificed his autonomy so that he might create one new humanity in him. When you have that mercy of God in view, the only logical response is to sacrifice. See, there was once a culture that was so completely indifferent to the good news announced about Jesus Christ. A culture that thought the gospel was so obsolete. Who's Jesus? He he was crucified as a common criminal. We have Caesar as our Lord. There was once a culture that would just ignore it that Paul wrote to a tiny group with meager resources to help them break through their cultural cultural gridlock. His advice was to proclaim that Jesus restores the lives of all who believe and then take those lives of all who believe and build a restored community I think about our culture. I think about college students like the one that I had an unofficial bike race with. His name was Gray. I've run into him since. We continue to talk. What if Gray not only heard from us that Jesus restores the lives of all who believe, but what if he saw restored lives building a restored community so that that which he ignored with his ears, he couldn't look away from with his eyes. That's the kind of community I wanna build. I wanna give my life to building with all of God's family gathered here at the chapel and with all believers here in Williamsburg. A community that sacrifices autonomy, a community that puts attention on Jesus, not on us, a community that sacrifices our own definition of our personal justice to to see justice done in our world, a community that sacrifices comfort and freedom, I bet that would get the attention of Gray and a whole lot of other people in our 
community. So let's keep God's mercy in view, in view of God's mercy, in view of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And won't you join this family of faith, this group that has had their lives restored by Jesus, and so now build a restored community. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.